everybody, and welcome to the November Lymphedema Patient Roundtable. We are so pumped and grateful that you're here with us tonight for an hour of community and conversation. My name is Alexa Ercolano. I am a primary lymphedema patient and the marketing and communications associate here at LymphoPress. And I have a wonderful panel with us tonight. I'm going to go ahead and introduce everyone as y'all are logging on. So we have Angela Jones, a lipolymphedema patient and health coach. Hi, Angela. Hi. Hi. We have Karen Ashforth, who is a certified lymphedema therapist and fibrosis extraordinaire. Hi, Karen. It's good hey. to see you. And we have Katherine Rosenberg, who's a pediatric cancer survivor, secondary lymphedema patient advocate, math teacher, and her marching band is first in the state in New Jersey. Congratulations, Katherine, on that win. <laughs> and then finally, we are so fortunate to have Dr. Jasmine Zhang joining us tonight. Dr. Zhang is the director of Penn Medicine's Cancer Rehabilitation Program, as well as their Cancer Rehabilitation Fellowship. She's also a certified lymphedema therapist and collaborates closely with the Good Shepherd Penn Partners Oncology Lymphedema Team and Penn Center for Lymphatic Disorders in providing treatment of cancer and non-cancer related lymphedema. Catherine, thank you for making this connection. And Jasmine, we are so, so excited to have you here tonight. So thank you for being here with us. Absolutely. Hi, everyone. And thank you so much for having me tonight. Of course. Now, before we get started, a little housekeeping things. Um, as always, we invite you to pop any questions in the Q&A box. We'll get to them about halfway through the evening. Um, we want to give Dr. Zhang a chance to talk about all these wonderful topics that she has bubbling in her brain to share with us, and uh, as well as any other um, topics that we come up with tonight. Um, and without further ado, oh yeah, we're not giving medical advice as usual. We do have clinicians on the panel, but we cannot give you personal medical advice. Um, so we encourage you to talk to your doctor or your lymphedema therapist for those questions, of course, but we can speak generally. And um, I'm going to pass the baton over to Catherine, who's going to tell a fun little story of how she met Dr. Zhang. Take it so, away. So <laughs> um, hmm, it's almost two years. It, it, is it, it is two years ago. Um, so in August of 2021, um, I actually was following up with my orthopedic doctor. And he says to me, hey, Catherine, I need you to do me a favor. I said, what? He goes, I need you to go see this doctor. I said, why? He goes, because I know you know your lymphatics and I want to make sure that if I'm going to send somebody that she knows what she's talking about. I said, okay, no problem. So I go and let me tell you, it was the best experience I ever had. Um, I've never seen somebody who know is as knowledgeable as she is when it comes to lymphatics. Um, she was able to answer all the questions I threw at her. She had no idea why I was asking all these questions. <laughs> um, and she didn't know that that was actually the reason why I was there. But <laughs> In the end, two months later, I really needed her and she was right there for me and has been ever since. Catherine, you are a pretty good litmus test, I think, for any <laughs> <laughs> lymphatic professional. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you, Catherine. Yeah, I remember when Catherine first came in the door. Um, and frankly, Catherine, you're one of the most knowledgeable patients I've ever had about the lymphatic system. So it's it's been really fun getting to know you and working with you for sure. <laughs> I wouldn't trade it for the world. You have been like my go-to from day one. <laughs> now, I know a hot topic that has been in the world of lymphatics and lymphedema as of late are uh, central lymphatics issues. And we know Catherine is sort of our resident patient expert having lived with these issues and has been so gracious in sharing them with us and at conferences, but we'd love to hear a little bit more from the clinician perspective. Dr. Zhang, we'll defer to you, but what, and this may be kind of like a really broad question, but what are central lymphatic issues and how can a patient tell if they're experiencing those? Yeah, yeah, great question, Alexa. So um, if we think about our lymphatic system, really boiling it down to as simplified as possible. I, I think of it like a plumbing system in our house and our house being our body. And for our body and our house to be functional, we need a good working plumbing system. 
And if you think about the components of our plumbing system, um, for example, our toilets and the pipes inside our house, eventually all that, most of that might lead out of the house um, to take it to the sewage system. So pretty simplified version. There are some other details that, you know, don't quite fit, but that's how you can sort of think about our lymphatic system in a way. And there's components of it that can get broken down or get clogged or parts of it can be removed for, for, for one reason or another. Um, and pipes can break. And when we think about the central lymphatic system, I think of it almost as um, part of that component that leaves the house, that sewage area that leaves the house. And so when that core area that leaves a house is broken, whether there's blockages in it or there's a leaky pipe, you can imagine the rest of the house, all the bathrooms, everything is going to go a little bit haywire. And so it can present in a variety of ways in our bodies as well. So if we think about it actually in real lymphatic terms, um, we have our periphery, so our arms, our legs with that peripheral lymphatic system. Um, and then some of that, and also a lot of our organs drain into our central lymphatic system, which sits inside our belly and chest. And so when there is blockages of the belly, of, of that portion in our belly or chest, or there's holes in it or leakage, that can lead to pretty significant issues. Um, it can present with symptoms in the belly or chest, or sometimes it can also present with symptoms in the periphery, AKA the arms or the legs, or even the head and neck. That's fascinating. Your internet was going in and out a little bit, but we, oh, no. we heard most, no, it's okay. We heard, we heard pretty much most of it, 98% of it. And it's okay. all fascinating stuff. And we've talked before at past roundtables, and Karen has talked a lot about this with um, stomach issue or like uh, certain sensitivities with like gluten and dairy and inflammatory foods. And is that related? Would that be considered central lymphatic issues or is that kind um, of different? Uh, a, a little bit, but I think, um, so there's, there's a variety of ways that central lymphatic problems can present. So um, when I talk about the central lymphatic system, in anatomical terms, um, you'll probably hear if you're in a doctor's office, someone might mention uh, the thoracic duct or the cisterna chile. So again, if you think about kind of pipes, lymphatic system being a series of pipes, um, that central lymphatic system is a series of pipes in our belly and our chest. And so it's um, kind of a little pouch called a cisterna that then connects to a longer tube that then comes into our chest called the thoracic duct. And there's a variety of ways that this area can be injured. So, for example, um, surgeries. So if someone has, say, esophageal cancer and they have to have part of their esophagus removed, that's an area that's very close anatomically to our thoracic duct. So it's actually a fairly risky surgery that can um, cause injury to the duct. Um, another example would be if you ever had um, a line placed into your veins, um, sometimes they go into the arm or into the neck, and those veins may lead right to where the thoracic duct and our veins kiss. And so if that's the case, that can also lead to problems, direct injuries to a thoracic duct or sometimes scarring in that area. Things like infection or other blunt trauma theoretically could also lead to uh, trauma to the thoracic duct. Um, and then even things like, uh, I don't know if I said infections, if I did, I'm sorry, infections um, in malignancies. So cancers can also uh, cause compression or uh, blockages in our thoracic duct. Um, and so when any of that happens, um, our bodies are actually quite resilient. So it tries its best to heal and fix itself. So many times when there's a blockage, we find alternate ways to try to drain that fluid. Um, and so we might utilize something called collaterals. So in some of uh, my patients who've had blockages, if we take a look at their imaging, they actually have little tiny web-like branches out from their thoracic duct 
um, that indicates, hey, they're utilizing these other passages to try to drain their body when other people may, may not be using these. Um, but um, other times, if there's injury, uh, you might also see the thoracic duct start to leak and it can leak into various parts of the body. So it might leak into your lungs, so into the chest. Um, it could leak into your belly um, and depending on, or it can even leak um, into the bronchial tube. So into the actual lung tubes itself. And depending on where that leakage is, it can lead to various medical conditions. So um, terms like you might have heard the terms chylothorax. So that is chylus or lymphatic, fatty lymphatic fluid in our uh, chest or chylosis, which would refer to that fatty lymph fluid in our abdomen, in our belly. And so when all these things, when these different kinds of things happen, patients may present with shortness of breath if there's fluid in the lungs, right? It's kind of hard to breathe if there's a lot of fluid in the lungs. And if there's fluid in the belly, um, that might cause the belly to really swell. Um, and you could uh, potentially actually pull out fluid with a needle out of the belly. It might lead to belly distension, belly bloating, belly pain. And then for those who have leaky um, lymphatics in their intestines, um, that might lead to poor nutritional absorption. And so you might notice uh, when someone eats, uh, when, if they have that problem, if they eat a really fatty meal, they might have abdominal pain uh, and uh, a lot of distension. Um, or if you looked at their labs, there may be some abnormalities that might make you think, hmm, they're, they're really having trouble absorbing their nutrients. I wonder why. And we had a question in the Q&A box from Liz. She asked, how do you check to see that the thoracic duct is clear and not blocked? Great question. Yeah. So um, if there's truly a concern clinically for a thoracic duct issue, um, it does require imaging. And Catherine, I see you smiling a little bit because she's definitely been down that road and can share her experience. Um, but there's a variety of ways that um, and techniques we can utilize to try to image that area. But overall, it's actually quite difficult. It's technically challenging to try to access this very tiny pipe. I'm, I'm talking, you know, I'm saying sewage pipes. And so we're thinking really big, but it's actually really, really small. And it's really hard to access our lymphatic system and use the right kind of uh, contrast material and the right kind of MRI or CAT scans um, to, to lymphatics. But typical radiologists um, will utilize an ultrasound um, and they'll put the ultrasound, um, for example, in the groin area where they can find one of the inguinal lymph nodes and then utilizes the ultrasound and takes a needle and actually places it in the lymph node and then injects um, a dye, a contrast dye something that's going to light up on a CAT scan or an MRI. And then with that is able to push that dye into our lymphatic, our central lymphatic system to visualize it. Um, and then there might be, if, if we're trying to actually do surgical procedures and it gets a little bit more complicated and there might be other needles and, and, and cuts involved, but that would be the general way that we would look at the thoracic duct. Um, and then based on that, we might see um, a blockage so the dye doesn't go um, past a certain point, or we might see um, a torturous thoracic duct, so it's quite um, uh, twisted um, and it's not uh, running a straight course, um, or we might see even the dye coursing all the way to a block point and, and maybe it kind of bubbles a little bit where that blockage is and we can't quite pass into the vein system. Now, we have a question from Renat. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. And oh, Renata. Renata. Okay, Renata. Thank you. She's asking, how do you know if the cisterna chile is blocked around the belly button from surgery? Uh, so, again, so that, that would be uh, trying to visualize it with the methods that I just described. And um, I, I didn't make a note of saying that um, our anatomy is actually quite varied between person to person. So our thoracic duct and cisterna chile can all look a little bit different. Um, and in some people there's actually, we might not even have this pouch called a cisterna chile. 
Um, there's been research that I've looked at um, autopsy uh, lymphatic systems autopsies um, and a significant portion of people just don't have one. So that's also possible. Fascinating. Thank you so much for that. We did get another question too from Sandy Darley, and this is for both Dr. Zhang and Karen. Um, can eyes be affected by lymphatic issues? Do we know anything about that? I think they can. I've certainly had patients that have had facial swelling where it's impacted their eyes. And I think that's um, that's totally reasonable. I yeah. think that it responds very well to both gravity and manual lymphatic drainage. Yeah, I completely agree with Karen. Um, they have found lymphatics in the eye and I have had patients um, who have noted uh, lymphorrhea essentially from the eyes before. It's rare, but I have heard it happen. Wow, that's pretty fascinating. Thank you. And such great questions in, in the Q&A box too. Keep them coming, everybody. Um, now, uh, Catherine and I were talking before the show about a certain imaging that is done at Penn Medicine, I think only at Penn Medicine, um, for uh, the, the MR lymphangiogram for lower extremity. Could you talk a little bit about that imaging process and, and what that is that kind of what you were talking about with the contrast dye, or is it, is it a little different than that? Yeah, so um, MR lymphangiogram, I, I know there are other places that do it, um, but I, I think at least in this region, uh, Penn Medicine is probably uh, the, the main one. Um, so it, it is an MRI, and um, like any MRI, we can get the MRI of any body part, right? So you can get an MRI of the head and neck, of the chest, of our, oh, of our arms and of our legs. So in this case, we're just, oh no, I'm sorry. It's okay, my bad. clip hangers. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Um, so um, so uh, we can get images, uh, we can utilize MRI to get any body, uh, images of any body part, right? And usually we're using MRI because we wanna be able to visualize the soft tissues of the body. So things, what's underneath the skin, how much fat, how much muscle. It gives us information about bony structures. Um, and in certain cases, when we inject things like contrast through our veins, um, we can even better visualize our, our vein system and look for things like masses. Um, and so in this case, we're just utilizing MRI to look at the lymphatic system. So there's actually MRI of our uh, lymphatic system from our chest to our belly. So that would be to look at the central lymphatics, but then we can also do MRIs uh, to look at the lymphatics in our arms and in our legs. So typically we're ordering these so-called peripheral MRIs. So MRIs of the arms and legs when someone's presenting with peripheral lymphedema. So a bit different from a pure central lymphatic problem, but this might be someone who has primary lymphedema or secondary lymphedema after lymph nodes are removed from the armpit um, or, or from the groin. And so they develop arm or leg swelling. Um, and in the case of the peripheral MRI lymphangiogram, we're injecting uh, the contrast in between the web spaces of the extremity that we're interested in. So the hand or the feet. Um, and then we're actually, it, and the protocol varies a little bit depending on the institution, but we typically also do a injection of a iron-based molecule into our veins, and that allows us to better uh, separate out what are lymphatic vessels versus the vein system. Mm -hmm. Because when you actually look at an MRI, um, it's very hard to differentiate between the veins and between the lymphatic vessels. So it takes a really trained eye um, in a radiologist who really knows what they're doing. And there's a lot of physics involved as well that goes into the way they do the MRI and how they time all the different, we call them sequences. So that way we get what we wanna see, which is the transit of the lymphatic system 
um, what are the veins, as I said, and then also being able to separate out muscle and fat and fluid and any, anything else that we might be interested in. So we started doing, using uh, peripheral MRLs about a year ago or so, um, maybe a little bit over a year. Um, and we're primarily utilizing it uh, when we are considering surgical intervention for someone. So someone may come in and want surgical treatment of their lymphedema. And so this allows us better uh, differentiation again of, you know, how much of your lymphedema is uh, fatty scar tissue fibrosis versus um, something like more early stages of lymphedema where it might be more fluid predominant. And depending on these findings, it might help us direct better what the treatment options will be. Interesting. Thank you for explaining that. And you mentioned how you really need a trained eye to look at those imaging and everything. And I think that is kind of the crux of lymphedema treatment in general is we need people with trained eyes and trained skill sets to, to help treat us and manage our condition. And this kind of leads to a question we got from Tina in the Q&A box. If you do not have a physician who works with the lymph system, what other physician would be best to see? How do you know if the physician knows about the lymph system? And I'd like to pass this along as well to our patients on the panel, because the Lord knows we have tried and tried to find people who can understand our, uh, our very unique uh, needs as patients with lymphedema. So if any of, of you also have experience with this, please chime in for Tina, but um, our clinicians as well, if you have any guidance, because that is a tough one for sure. I'll chime in on this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it is not necessarily always the easiest thing to find somebody who is knowledgeable about the lymphatic system. However, sometimes it is best to help to educate the physician that you're seeing about your lymphatic system. And one way you can do that is to provide them with some reading material. Um, doctors always love when I give them reading material and I tell them I'll ask some questions the next time I come in. Um, so that I know that they understand what I'm going, what I'm going through and what I've dealt with. Um, and, you know, some doctors are good with that and some are not. And sometimes you kind of have to shop around, shall I say, to really find somebody who's going to sit and listen and understand what's going on. Because unfortunately, and Dr. Zhang, you can correct me if I'm wrong on the timing of this. I believe in medical school, if you're not focused on the lymphatic system, you get about 30 minutes in medical school. Is that about right? Yeah, I, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about uh, my, my medical school curriculum. And frankly, I, I can't even remember a lecture on lymphatics, which is crazy. And um, I'm, and it actually spurred me to reach out to the Penn Medical School to talk about incorporating a lymphatic curriculum. Um, and, and, it's, and, and it's a hard topic because one, it, it's not emphasized in history of medical schools in general. Um, and two, as I think we've all come to realize, the lymphatic system is everywhere in our bodies and affects essentially every organ system. And so we're, and for a lot of our medical school curriculums, which are more system-based, like, okay, this month we're going to talk about the heart system. All right, next month we're going to talk about the lung system. Where, one of the questions that's been posed is, where do we put the lymphatic system? So um, I don't think that should stop us from teaching and learning about it. But it, it's definitely um, it's definitely a battle that's worth fighting. But it's been an uphill battle. <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> and we've got um, a bunch of questions popping up in the Q and A box. But uh, Jody wants to know uh, what are some good articles to give to doctors to teach them about the lymph system. So any kind of resources that might be useful. Um, I would say something from perhaps like. Uh, lymphatic education and research network, like pointing them to or, um, organizations like that, or the National Lymphedema Network are good places to start. Um, anybody on the panel have any uh, 
preferred. You can also look for some research articles from the NIH because there is a whole bunch of stuff with NIH um, that can really help to identify, like even give a basic definition of primary lymphedema versus secondary lymphedema because there's so many people who don't even understand the difference. I mean, I've had numerous doctors tell me that, oh, you were diagnosed as an eight-year-old, you're primary, not understanding my background of being a cancer survivor. So I present very much so as almost a primary in, in many aspects, but there are many aspects that I don't have for primary, but I have for secondary. So it does get very confusing. Um, so it you have to really kind of pick and choose and really look and understand where, what your experiences are to make sure that and relay to your provider what you are experiencing and hope that they're going to listen. <laughs> and that's a real big hope sometimes. Yeah, I know yeah, I found right. some people that really do listen, which is great. <laughs> yeah, Liz said in the chat, I feel like if you have to start from the, she's, oh wait, let me start over. I feel like if you have to start from the beginning with a doctor, you need to find a new one. Yeah, and I think that is the challenge is finding someone who's willing to listen. I've had doctors where they're very dismissive of me bringing up my lymphatic issues. And then I have others that acknowledge like, hey, I don't know anything about this, but we can learn together. Like, just let me know, you know, what I need to know and where to look. So it it does vary. Um, and Ed Davis in the chat says, Karen Ashworth is a wealth of resources on lymphedema for clinicians. And we agree, we love Karen and her brilliant mind. So, <laughs> and we've got uh, someone in, uh, the Q&A box asking about finding a doctor in the Jersey Shore area. All he gets is massage therapy and only a few visits. I'm going to put some resources in the chat for everybody, um, some different resources where you can find therapists, and this will go out in the email afterwards too, but just so you all have this, um, I'll put it in the chat and you can copy paste it um, from there. So coming your way right now. Um, let's see. Um, okay, we've got some more medical questions in the Q&A box. So Karen and Dr. Zhang, I hope you're ready. <laughs> we have a question from Sandy asking, does venous ablation interfere with lymphatics? Great question. Um, so it should not, no. Um, the, the vein system and the lymphatics are inter intimately intertwined but a pure venous ablation should not cause lymphedema or, or make it worse. Nice and sweet and to the point. Thank you. <laughs> Good answer. Um, Susan wants to know if anyone has seen the benefits of using B1 injections for lymphedema. I'm not familiar with this, but anybody have, none of us are familiar with <laughs> sorry Susan <laughs> but that's a good it's a good question maybe we'll look into that for next time um and have some insights for you there um Bill shared uh since cancerous lymph nodes were removed from my leg I've had trouble keeping the swelling down I use the lymphopress machine and currently I'm getting physical therapy I also wear a garment and the physical therapy is your physical therapist is currently wrapping my leg my doctor has recently mentioned the possibility of lymph node transfer from other parts of my body. Is this a common procedure? I would say, yeah. yeah. yeah I, it sounds like you're doing um, everything right. You're, you're doing everything you can. Um, uh, optimizing non-surgical treatment is absolutely very, very important. Um, but in cases where you're looking for additional support um, and to try to decrease volume in some way, um, after maximizing non-surgical methods, I think something like a consultation for vascularized lymph node transfer, or one of the other surgical procedures is worthwhile. And um, I think it's important to find a uh, surgeon who is a specialist in this and who knows what they're doing um, and who has the ability to do a lot of these diagnostic imaging procedures so they can really understand your lymphatic anatomy and give you the best surgical options possible. Um, aside from vascularized lymph node transfer, there is also something called lymphovenous 
anastomosis or lymphoid bypass, <clears throat> where uh, they uh, will, a plastic surgeon will connect lymphatic vessels to veins. And so it allows the fluid to drain from lymphatic system into the vein system. And that can also decrease volume. And in some cases where neither of these two surgical options are possible, um, whether because of anatomical reasons or because the lymphedema is progressed enough that mainly the volume is due to a lot of fibrosis, then the surgeon may talk to you about um, a procedure called uh, suction-assisted protein lipectomy or a special liposuction procedure to remove the diseased tissue. A great breakdown on all the different surgeries. Go ahead, can I can I comment on this? Um, so I can I can speak to the fact I've actually had all three, um, and I will say that one of the biggest things coming from a patient perspective is when you're looking for a surgeon to potentially look at this, make sure that they do imaging because if they're going in blindly to do a lymph node transfer without knowing what they're going into you don't necessarily want to make, make a determination to do something like that without having visual image of the affected limb for them to decide how do they do it. It really makes a difference. Catherine, I feel like we need like a Girl Scout sash or something with badges for every surgery, every lymphedema milestone. <laughs> You'd be well decorated. <laughs> I'd be more than decorated. I don't yeah. like to, in fact, to admit to that fact, but yeah. In the end, it makes me who I am, so. <laughs> exactly, and we're so grateful that you are who you are. We're so appreciative. Um, we got another question from Sandy asking, can slash should you use comp the compression pump while wearing compression garments? Now, I'm gonna pass this to Karen. I know that generally we say not with flat knit garments, um, but you can with your nighttime garments. Sometimes, I mean, I know a lot of us, Catherine does this a lot, I do too, where, you wear your nighttime garments, the quilted thick ones, like the oven mitt looking ones um, for a little added oomph when you're using your pumps. But uh, Karen, could you talk a little about wearing flatness with the compression pump? Is that good, bad? So uh, flat knits aren't as problematic as circular knits. The problem with um, a circular knit is that they uh, tend to migrate a little more easily and uh, they are more likely to bunch at joints. And the, the, the main issue that I would see would be uh, skin irritation and even potential breakdown. But the other issue is that if you have a, a tight garment and then you are putting pressure on top of that, that may not be the effect that you want. I know that there are some patients that struggle and have a hard time getting uh, especially elastic garments on and off. And in those cases, um, you know, we try it and see how they do. But if you're going to try it, I would strongly suggest making sure that you adjust the um, elastic garment and uh, make sure it's not bunching before you uh, apply the, the pump garment. Bottom line though, is it's, it's better not to. And if you can use a soft, uh, like a pajama or a sweatpants or something like that. And what you said earlier, Alexa, I wholeheartedly agree with using um, pneumatic compression in conjunction with quilted garments. You get a double massage because you get that nice uh, micro massage action from the quilted foam. And then the pneumatic compression on top of that is just amazing. I have really seen a lot of uh, fibrotic remodeling over time as a result of the two modalities together. So um, that's that's my opinion. Thanks, Karen. And, and Ted asked about wearing the quilted nighttime garments while using the pump. He asked, doesn't that wear down garments prematurely? But it sounds like it it shouldn't do that. Um, it's just- It can. Of Oh, I think oh, it can, it yeah, can. <laughs> because I think just the wear and tear, um, you're getting extra wear and tear as a result of the pressure from pneumatic compression. But mm -hmm. hey, I would say the trade-off is worth it. And what I often tell my patients is that from time to time, you need to replace your quilted garments. And so if you have an old quilted garment that may not 
fit as tightly or as well, it doesn't matter wearing it under pneumatic compression because that'll snug it in. So that would be my advice would be to uh, recycle your older garments um, with the pneumatic compression and it'll definitely give you an even better effect. That's good advice because I definitely, like many of us, I'm sure have a collection of old garments just kind of sitting on the floor of the closet. So that's a good use for them. Sandy says, I'll use bubble wrap, which will be very noisy. <laughs> She's a JK. Go ahead, Catherine. So I'm just going to totally comment on this because this I actually started doing this as after our conversation with Karen, I don't even know, maybe two years ago. And it was probably one of the best things I ever did. And it just so happened I had just gotten a new nighttime garment. So I still had my old one. Um, I actually have nighttime garments that are two and three years old, and I use those when I use my pump instead of using the brand new one, um, so that this way I'm not necessarily wearing out my new one right away, um, because most insurance companies limit you to one, maybe two nighttime garments in a year, so you don't want to, you know, kill that garment right away too much. So um, I keep my my old ones around and it really does become very beneficial. Um, and I've actually used both um, the Tribute type garment, which is the oven mitt one, or also the Jobs Relax, which is a little bit softer. Um, and you definitely get different variations when you do it in combination with the compression pump. Um, and especially you can also get different variations within the different modes on the compression pump sequential versus the um the wave mode and you know sometimes you need one versus the other yeah ted says that he he loves the idea of using the old garments and he's he says thank you for that and then he asked how often we should use this method of wearing nighttime garments while using the pump every day and we always say everybody you know has their their treatments that work for them and and that they like I, but uh i see karen nodding her head though a little there yeah, why not every day? I've had patients who have had tissues that have been rock hard and seen their tissues really soften um, through the use of the combination of pneumatic compression and quilted. So if you're going to pump anyway, maximize it by, by using quilted compression if you have it. A lot of people are asking in the Q&A box and in chat, where do you find nighttime garments or quilted garments? And I mean, I think you you talk to your your lymphedema therapist or your garment fitter. Um, the big ones Catherine's mentioned, uh, the Tribute, which I think is LNR, um, makes that now. Uh, Medi has the Circade profile, which I just got. I used to have Tribute for years and years, and I just got the Circade, and it's pretty comfortable. Uh, Jopes Relax, like there's a lot of different ones out there. So if you just ask them um, about your options for nighttime compression they should be able to uh, get you hooked up with that. And Ed Davis in the chat asked, what about the jelly roll from the NLN conference? Now we know he's not talking about the dessert. Can uh, Karen or Dr. Zhang uh, speak to that? Who knows what, what Ed's talking about? <laughs> I, I know about this a lot because um, <laughs> Leslie Bell, who developed it, is one of my close friends. And we're actually trying to get her to call it the belly roll, as in Leslie Bell. But what it is, is it's the complex uh, from LNR that um, she has stitched together into a long roll. And she has some amazing before and after pictures that pr she presented at the NLN. And then she presented again at um, the, the latest lymphedema seminars um, in October. Uh, she gets amazing results. She uses this in her clinic prior to treatment to really create a very um, dramatic reduction. And um, if she does this before treatment, it, it, it really makes a huge difference in terms of being able to be more effective in manual work and um, helping the patient be able to manage their swelling pretty rapidly. So that it it's it's a created thing though. It's not something that's out there in the market yet. Although who knows? I think that um, you know we had a a, a nice dinner at um, AVLS with LNR Leslie and I, and um, I know she was talking with LNR about it. So stay tuned. Maybe in the next year we might see something. That'd be awesome. 
Fenton, in the meantime, says he used to buy jelly rolls at this awesome bakery near Atlantic City. So that's the hookup for the other kind in the meantime. And Kathleen listens in the chat. Hey, Kathleen, we're glad you're here. She says oven mitt nighttime garments are a key ingredient in the anti-fibrosis recipes from Karen's Compression Kitchen, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> I love that. I wanted to switch gears real quick because the holidays are coming up and the holidays, a lot of times, some of us may get a little lax about our lymphedema treatment because we're, you know, we're not doing our usual routines. We're eating a little bit more. We're getting a little bit complacent. What are some tips? And I'm looking at Angela putting you on the spot because you've been quiet tonight and Catherine too. Like, what are some tips to manage your lymphedema over the holidays? And how do you, how do you keep on track with that? Because it's kind of a tough time. Okay. This is going to sound very flippant, but I don't act as though it's a holiday that's, I don't act as though it's a day that's any different from any other day. The things that I do on a daily basis, I try to continue because it's so easy for me. If I get off track, it's very hard for me to get back on track. So I try very hard to continue the pumping, to continue going for the massages, to continue the movement, the water, no sugar, and watch what I eat. I just try to do the same thing. That's not flipping at all. That's good, straightforward <laughs> advice, as usual, from Angela. I love it. <laughs> what about you, Catherine? So for me, because um, I know a lot of people do travel, um, one of the big things for me is that don't be afraid to take your your best tools with you is really um, one of the best advice that I can give. Um, I've actually educated a lot of flight attendants about lymphedema um, while on an airplane because I have multiple things on my leg normally. Um, the um, one thing that most people forget is that your pump is considered a medical device. It flies for free. It goes on the plane with you. Do not put it in your luggage underneath because the airlines will not be responsible if something happens to it. So make sure you get a note from the doctor um, telling them that it's a medical device and it's medically needed and they really don't question it. Um, and it does not count towards your carry-on bag. Um, I will send Alexa my nice little tidbit of travel um, a card I have. I actually got it from TSA in Philadelphia because I was flying a lot when I was in grad school. And um, I kept seeing the same flight, the same TSA agents. And they're like, we need to get you this card. So they got me a card and it's actually for assistance. So if you have trouble walking, if you have um, extra special needs in terms of going through the security, I mean, I know for me, uh, I set off the security camera thing in every part of my body except for my head. So um, it makes it a lot of fun to go through security for me. So by doing by calling the number ahead of time, you have to call 48 hours ahead of time. They will meet you at the gate at when you check in and they will get you through security in under 30 minutes. That is probably my favorite part because otherwise I'm sitting there for an hour and a half and I really don't want, I don't have time for that. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've had I always think of you when I travel. I'm actually traveling next week, so I'm gonna be thinking about you and your tips. But I've been uh, pulled over by TSA also because my leg has set off the scanner. And the first time it happened, I felt so embarrassed and like kind of ashamed and just like, oh my god, like this is what because they were you know like, oh well, what are you wearing? Because I had my compression on, and they're like, well, you'll need to take that off. And I was like, can't take this off. Like I need to wear this, and it felt. Like it was just kind of overwhelming in the moment. But now that, you know, I've heard from Catherine and other patients who travel frequently too, where this happens a lot, it's like, okay, there are ways to make this easier for me. And there's ways to make this, you know, as as uh, painless as possible and an educational opportunity, hopefully for the TSA agents <laughs> um, who've probably seen a lot, a lot more than than a leg in a compression garment, that's for sure. But um but it's good to feel empowered with this kind of information. So I'll include uh, the TSA CARES link in the replay email that goes out. Um, and I'll look for the link to put in chat too in the meantime. Um, we have a lot of stuff going on in the Q&A box. Um, is any of the panelists see any that they wanna tackle for in particular? Because we are at 8.45 now. So if there's any questions that they have burning desires uh, to answer. Otherwise, we can just go through the list. Oh, I want to answer a question. Go ahead. So Ted just asked about how do you get around not taking compression off when they ask? You have a doctor's note with you that says it can't come off. 
literally they can't make you take it off they just have to scan around you and i mean this is going to sound not appropriate but i'm going to try my best to make it sound appropriate um they really kind of do a nice touchy feely with you um in making sure that there's nothing there um don't be afraid of it like in all seriousness don't be afraid of it because it really is nothing they're just doing their job they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna swab your hands they're gonna swab your leg they're gonna swab your shoe that's all they're gonna do but they have to touch from the top of you all the way down to the bottom they have to make sure they don't feel anything solid and I get it you know it's kind of weird uh first as Alexa said she was very like not intrigued about how they were doing this but in the end after doing it so many times I was like you know what I might as well just let him do it and just get it over with instead of oh, we have to bring you over to this room and here, do it over here. And then it takes 25 more minutes longer for them to do it over that way because they got to wait for people to come. And so I just let them do it right then and there. And I'm like, all right, let's go. And I walk through and and it takes five minutes, but it really, it's a good time for me to educate somebody on what I live with every day. Mm -hmm. And in reality, TSA agents really should come across this type of situation because it's more common than people realize. And they've actually said that to me in Philadelphia because um, there was actually a day that I was there and somebody else, not somebody I knew, had the same situation going on. And that person was extremely upset about it. And they were in the line right next to me. So I was able to go over there and walk them through what to do so that this way it wasn't as painful for them. Like I'm very open about my lymphedema. Um, those that know me know that I don't wear beige compression garments. I wear like hot pink and purple and every other color that is very bright. So it's, that's just my personality. But in reality, it's just, it's just their format of what they have to do to make sure that they're protecting us. So they're doing their job to protect us. So just let them and just go with it. Like, I know a lot of people are very scared of that but in the end they're keeping everybody safe so you have to look at the broad picture yeah liz in the chat says i say it breaks ada laws and that works and fenton says for me planning ahead on an airline to secure handicapped seating if possible i need a seat where the center arm raises up due to my lower extremity lymphedema i need the extra leg room so planning ahead with the airline is suggested and recommended and sandy says I always make TSA agents tell me, I see you've been working out when they pat me down and we all laugh. That's good. Good to have a sense of humor about it too, I think. Go ahead, I have one other thing that I forgot. So most people don't know this. There is one airline that is exceptionally sensitive to disabilities. So if you have the ability to fly Southwest, and no, I don't work for Southwest and I'm not their public service agent here, but (laughs) you have the ability to get a set, you have to pay for it initially, but you call them after your complete flight, return, like you return back to where you're going, um, and they will refund your second seat for you if you tell them that you have a disability. You And they don't ask for documentation. It actually works not only for a disability, but it also works for obesity. So that this way, you're not necessarily crammed in directly next to somebody. I've used this many, many times. I actually used it when I flew to Texas for a surgery. Um, on my lymphatic system, and it was the best thing ever. So you buy two seats first, mm-hmm. and then okay, and then you go, and oh. then you'll get reimbursed for the one on the way after you return. Mm-hmm. And if you get to the airport and there's extra seats on the plane, they'll actually give you a third one. So then you get the whole row, and you can put your leg up. That's nice. Yeah, <laughs> and they don't charge you for the one at the airport. Very nice. <laughs> I'd like to answer a question that Susan um, McCoy posted about um, she has full leg compression boots. Um, and the question is how problematic is using um, pushing the lymph into the abdomen? And uh, I'm not clear whether these are uh, compression garments or a compression pump. Um, there's a follow-up question is, are there exercises we can do to reduce abdominal lymph swelling? I can't get the abdominal compression. So, uh, I think this is really an important question because many people who just use leg sleeves, either as a static compression garment, or, um, if they're using just leg sleeves with their pump, if they have any type of 
tendency towards swelling in the genital or abdomen or buttock area, it's really important to, to, to address those areas. And I'm, 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 again, I'm not clear why um, you're not able to get abdominal compression because uh, I think that that's critical if you do have swelling in those areas. Having said that, Diaphragmatic breathing is a great way to go. There's a lot of, of tummy massages that you can do. Talk to your lymphedema therapist about that because they can teach you how to stimulate the deep lymphatics in the gut and the abdominal area to help clear that. So I just want to say, I'm glad you brought it up and um, please get some help from the, the your your um your team to um make sure that you're getting the the right care for your abdomen. I'll be sure to include um in the replay email. We have some great uh webinars with Kathleen Liston who's in the audience um who's done uh, a whole webinar for us on diaphragmatic breathing and mindfulness with lymphedema and exercises you can do while you're using your pump even to help get that lymph moving, um, which is really helpful and really relaxing too. So thank She also you. has a really good book out. She does. She does have a very good book. And we we had her on last month at the round table, giving away copies of it along with Leslie and Keith. And it was awesome. Kathleen <laughs> is great. And Susan yeah. actually just clarified um, pumps. So mm -hmm. Susan, I would say that if you, if anyone has swelling, um, north of the thighs, then you need to go from leg sleeves to a pantsuit. There, there just isn't any other option because the leg sleeves can actually push swelling into the genital area as well as the abdomen. And it's not appropriate to just use leg sleeves if there is abdominal swelling. So um, maybe uh, have a conversation with your therapist, with your doctor about seeing if you can upgrade because I think that's really important. I just recently upgraded to the lymph of pants. I used to have the leg sleeves, but my swellings progressed up my thigh a bit. So now I have the pants, which come up to here and my cat loves it because he just sits right here and he goes up and down with it and he sleeps while I pump. Tina says she likes her sleeping bag, her sleeping bag pump, which is, she has a lymphopod, which is a, a really great option too. Um, so we are in the last few minutes here and we have so many questions we didn't get to. I'm taking note of them and at the December roundtable, we'll make sure we address these because there's a lot of really good ones. Um, but I wanted to talk about the concept of lymphatic gratitude because Thanksgiving's next week. And I know living with lymphedema, we kind of get caught up in the uh, negatives or the hardships around it, because it is very difficult and isolating to live with this condition sometimes, but there's a lot of bright spots that kind of come through too, one of which is uh, finding a community like this or, or figuring out that we can be so in tune with our bodies in ways we didn't know because we're so attuned to the, the changes um, in our lymphedema just from eating something different or a temperature change or things like that. So I'd love to go around the panel and have everybody on the panel share some lymphatic gratitude that they have. And in the chat, if you could pop in there too, some things you're grateful for, and I'll read them um, after we go around the, the table here. So who'd like to start? <laughs> Don't make me call on someone. <laughs> it's gonna be Angela. <laughs> I tend to I tend to look at my I have lipedema and I have lymphedema. So I tend to look at them as I've been better and I've been worse. So I guess I'm doing okay. So I try, I honestly do try to just not overthink it. Because when I overthink it, I go into a mood of just depression and anger. I go through the five stages of grief, actually. So I try to look at it as it's certainly not as bad as it could be. And I'm very grateful to be where I am because it could not be this well, even though it's not the best, it's not the worst either. Good perspective. Thanks, Angela. Who's next? I'll go. I am just so grateful for this community. I have met so many amazing people 
both patients and clinicians through this, this whole odyssey of lymphedema. And in the 20 plus years that I've been practicing in this area, it's been the best, best part of my whole career. So, and I think it's because of the people. Wonderful. Who's next? Catherine, you're unmuted, so. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. So honestly, for me, I don't let my lymphedema define me. I define it. So, mm -hmm. and that I think is a super important piece for me because I, if I let it define me, I wouldn't be able to do half of what I do because nobody ever expected me to be able to do all of what I do on a daily basis. Um, so many don't realize that I actually get up at four o'clock in the morning most days to do my lymph lymphatic pumping when I'm, when I can, um, because I have to be at work at six 30 in the morning and there's days I don't get home until 10 o'clock at night. So because of uh, extracurricular activities and things like that. So I have to make sure that I'm giving myself that extra tender, loving care when I need it. But at the same time, I'm also not going to allow it to control me to the best of its ability. And that is super important to me because if I let it control me, I wouldn't have a life and that's not what I want. So you got to make it work for you. Love that. Thank you, Catherine. Dr. Zhang. Um, really? Oh, you cut out. So what uh, Carrot <laughs> said earlier about, no, I know. I'm so sorry. I don't know why that's this okay. is happening. Um, but I really wanted to uh, echo what Kevin said earlier. Um, it has been such a wonderful community of patients and clinicians. Um, I think I found a lot of inspiration from working with Catherine um, and other patients uh, who go through this lymphatic journey. Um, I've learned so much and I've discovered a passion for learning more and teaching others about it. And showing you know other clinicians as we talked about earlier why this is such an important topic um and so i i you know i think a lot of, we, we all go through our lives looking for something that we're passionate about and it's always such a good feeling when you find something worth working for wonderful thank you dr zang i'm really grateful for this community too i don't think there's a patient community who is as driven and creative at finding solutions as the lymphedema community and the the therapists and the clinicians are just so passionate and they're so dedicated and it shows and we're so lucky to have all these wonderful people in our corner um fighting for us and trying to to learn the best ways to to treat us and help us manage our conditions we've got some great bits of lymphatic gratitude in the chat too. Liz says she's grateful for her lymphopress. I fought for insurance coverage for this device for two years and I finally got it. And it's so great that it covers my abdomen. Ted B says he feels the same way as Angela and well said to her. Tina says, I'm thankful that I have found this group educating me on so many issues that are related to this. And I'm thankful for all those who have supported me, family, medical providers, and others. Fenton from Trenton says, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Eat healthy, breathe well, and keep on wrapping. I am grateful for friends and family who support me and learn to understand my limitations and my rants. So thankful, all of you. I am not alone because of all your support. Uh, we've got even more. Jody is grateful to find this group. Kathleen is grateful to Dr. Zhang for being interested enough in lymphedema to take a CLT class and come to the NLN conference to teach us. Susan's very grateful for finding all these resources. This is her first step in connecting with community. And she says, thank you for being here for us. Um, everybody, Keith, this was a good panel. Fenton, I couldn't do half the things Catherine does, even if I was completely healthy. You are inspiring. This goes for the whole panel as well. Love you all. We love you too, Fenton. Oh my gosh, everybody. So much great bits of gratitude in the chat. I'm sorry, I'm reading all of them here, but they're so good. Leela is grateful for supporting those living with lymphedema. Leela is a wonderful support person. She's at every roundtable. I've met her at a couple different conferences too. She's Fenton's pal and she's always there willing to learn. And, and we love Leela and people like her. Um, gosh, more and more and more. So 
Thank you everybody for being here tonight. And for our special guest, Dr. Zhang, we loved having you and we're so appreciative of your time and insights. It was wonderful to have you on with us tonight. And everybody else, you know where to find us. We're here every second Tuesday of the month at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you can't make it live, we still encourage you to register, of course, so you can get the replay in your email. But it's also always on YouTube about a week after the live event. And don't miss next month, December 13th, uh, Karen has a webinar with us, Identifying and Treating Lipedema-Related Fibrosis. It's on our link tree. I will put the link in the chat here so you all can register for that if you'd like to learn more from our lovely Karen. And that's about all she wrote. It's 9 p.m. So we're gonna let everybody go and hop in their pumps or do some MLD before bed. And uh, we'll get to all the questions that we missed tonight in the December uh, roundtable. So we hope to see you all there. Thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you have a great evening. We're grateful for all of you. And we'll see you next month. Bye everyone. Bye.